and welcome to the Krug Show, Friday afternoon. Matt Barrow's in the house. We're going to talk a little 49ers Cardinals. We're brought to you by Pig and a Pickle, the best barbecue in Northern California. Check them out in Emeryville and Corte Madera. We'll be there on Sunday watching Niners and Cardinals join us. Um, and, of course, we're brought to you by New York-style Italian sausage, Marin Auto Glass. Check out MarinAutoglass.com as well as Underdog Fantasy and Mojo Fantasy. Check the link in the description and use that promo code KRUG, K-R-U-E-G, and they will match you up to your first $100. Matty B, good to see you, man. How are you? I'm good. Uh, auto glass and sausage. That is a uh, a great combination of sponsors there, Larry. There you good go. Good for you. Yeah, you uh, you know somebody's uh, you know you park your car, somebody shatters your windshield. Uh, I can help you uh, if you're making uh, stuffed mushrooms. I can help you. I mean, it's <laughs> it's you're like the Thomas Jefferson of podcasts. You're you're a Renaissance man. There you go. Uh, Greg is con already with a Matt Barrows compliment. He says Matt Barrows, my favorite Niner beat reporter. Love his wit and insight. Gregus Khan has been my number one fan uh, for years. <laughs> Love Gregus. Gregus is Gregus is a big fan. He appreciates the greatness of Matt Barrows, who does a great job covering the covering the Athletic for the Niners, covering the Niners for the Athletic, um, along with Dave Lombardi. And you guys do do a great job. Um, I know you guys, and you really work at it. Dave really works at it. You guys are both very diligent. Um, what has been the big story going into the Arizona game on the athletic? What have you guys been breaking down? I really enjoyed, by the way, if I may throw this in there at the beginning, I really enjoyed the sleep article that you wrote about Brock Purdy. And um, I thought that was incredibly insightful. And every time he talks about, it seems like people have been asking him recently about his sleep habits. And I, every time they do, I think Barrows did a whole breakdown on this. Um, that was a really good piece. I don't know how it was, how it was received, but I, I enjoyed it. Yeah, it did well. Um, you know, it just kind of fits the, the Brock Purdy mold that we've, um, uh, you know, been kind of figuring out over the last year, literally that he's a 20, what is he? 24, 24 year old guy with the maturity of, a you know, a 55 year old and probably more mature than, than some guys in their, in their fifties for sure. And, um, just, uh, how professional he is and how he, you know, he attacked that injury, um, with a real kind of calculated strategy. And, and one of the things that he did was made sure that he got plenty of sleep and really kind of adjusted his sleep habits. Um, and he said he got, uh, you know, aim for nine and a half a night. And he beat the um, the projection for coming back from that elbow injury by a month and a half. And it's been an absolute non-issue um, this season. I mean, from week one in Pittsburgh, hitting Brandon Ayuk deep a couple of times to uh, this last game where it was all deep balls, um, the arm has been a non-story really um, since August. My sense of it is that his arm seems stronger and stronger almost every time I see him. And it seems, you know, what are you, are you surprised at all by what we've seen from Purdy in year two? Because we, you know, there were those who can kind of um, said, Hey, without an off season, he's not going to have, he's not going to be able to improve and so on and so forth. And he's improved in almost every statistical category. Yeah. I mean, I thought that maybe, 
he would come down to earth a little bit with um, the touchdown to interception ratio. Remember, a, a lot of his passes last year, there were some near interceptions that DBs dropped, and um, it seemed like he got lucky a couple of times. And I thought that he would sort of return to the mean uh, when it came to that, but he hasn't. He's gotten better. He's gotten better in just about everything. Uh, so, um, you know, what we were seeing last year in December was such a small sample size that, um, you know, there was always this kind of, uh, thought in the back of your mind that, okay, this is, this is probably a fluke. Um, he's going to come crashing down to earth next season when defenses have, you know, uh, a healthy number of games to, to judge him and they start doing this and that, but that hasn't been the case. In fact, he's gotten a little bit better. I mean, 70% completion average and he's got a streak of what seven games where he's got that or above yeah uh, and it's not dinks and dunks i mean these are aggressive throws down the field so it's very hard to uh find flaws in his game uh at all i mean again the one missing element is that he hasn't had a a true come from behind game a true fourth quarter game um and you know that's that's his own fault because he's been so efficient in quarters one through three he just hasn't put himself in that position very much um over his career you know he did do that against cleveland and and uh the rookie kicker missed the kick uh otherwise he would have that comeback as well on the on the resume um i listened to the presser today of shanahan and he eric armstead is out orrin burks is out ross dwelly out javon hargrave is out with a hamstring Elijah Mitchell is also out. And then Banks, Burford, uh, both guards, basically, uh, Greenlaw and Mooney Ward are all questionable. What's the most interesting injury there in your mind as far as, uh, you know, this game against Arizona? you got a pair of defensive tackles who are out for this game. Um, and you've got a, uh, a Cardinals team that's coming off its bye. And a Cardinals team that has a, a really good running back in James Conner. And by the way, James Conner, remember at the end of the uh, the week, uh, what was it, week four Cardinals game, he was steamed at the end of that. Remember he got into a, a post-game fight with Talano Hufanga on the field? So, right, yeah. um, you know, the combination of that plus the Cardinals bye plus the fact that really the middle of that 49ers defense is banged up um, you know, that, that could make for a more interesting game than uh, we probably thought uh, coming out of the Seattle win. So if I'm the Cardinals, I'm, I'm you know, giving the ball to James Conner early and often, um, you know, to control the clock, to, to eat up yards and to keep the ball out of Brock Purdy's hands. Um, this might be a game where the, uh, the 49ers offense really has to go out and win it for them. Uh, it might be one where the defensive ends, the 49ers are very healthy at defensive end, Bosa, Chase Young, uh, Cleveland Furl, those guys really have to do yeoman's work um, to, uh, to make sure that uh, they can compensate for some loss of talent, um, especially in the middle of that defense. Harm, Armstead and Hargrave are, you know, two of the bigger contracts on the team. Well, how do you think of uh, Givens and Kinlaw and Kalia Davis when you're thinking and you're projecting to Sunday, uh, it seems like Kinlaw has been healthy this year, and I think he's playing his best ball. Um, I don't know what the early returns are on Kalia Davis, but I would imagine, I mean, Steve Wilkes said last week, 
this guy's going to get some serious run in the in the weeks ahead. Yeah, I was watching Davis uh, pretty closely against the Seahawks. It was hard to tell because it seemed like every time he was in the game, he was getting a double team. And, um, you know, nobody does well against double teams. Um, but he looked good in, in Philadelphia. And you're right, he's going to get a lot of snaps in this game. I think that probably T.Y. McGill gets called up from the practice squad for this one. He's a guy that um, played a lot last year. So it's, it's not like he's uh, he's coming in totally um, uh, fresh. Um, uh, he's He knows this defense. He played over 200 snaps last season, including the playoffs. So um, they do have some guys that are experienced, experienced in this defense. They're going to have to step up. And, and I agree with you with, with uh, Javon Kinlaw. I think he's um, just moving around better. And you see that. You see him almost showing that off on some plays, uh, you know, plays down the field away from him. He's the guy running after the ball um, and um, and trying to make plays at the sideline and things like that. Just don't know if he really had the ability to do that in years past. He had the knee, first of all. And, you know, if you see him in the locker room, um, you know, he takes his shirt off and he's cut now. I mean, he's ripped, it's, not, yeah. it's not quite the, the Nick Bosa uh, body, but – He's uh, definitely going in that direction. So this is a guy that's that's taken his uh, his conditioning, his diet much more seriously in year four. Uh, probably means that he's not going to be back. He and, and Givens, by the way, are both um, uh, free agents in March. Kalia Davis uh, of of this trio that's going to play on Sunday is the one guy who signed for 2024. So really, it's. Um, it's a good test for him. It's a good warm up, and it's a good. Uh, I'm sure the the scouting staff, the the front office, are watching uh, just to see. Okay, what do we need to add to that defensive tackle room? Because uh, they like to have four guys in uniform. Right now, they've got Hargrave, they've got Armstead, they've got Kalia Davis signed for next year. Um, the question is, you know, how do they find that fourth guy? Is it a uh, a draft pick? Is it a an affordable free agent? Um, they need to bring in probably two more guys at that position. You know, and I, I've, I've interviewed Kinlaw a couple times in the last few weeks, and he's just, I like him. I mean, we, me and him have a good uh, good rap, and it's just like there's an intensity to him. He can be kind of an intimidating figure uh, because he is just a, he's he's a huge man. He's a, he's he doesn't always have a smile on his face, so you kind of wonder, is he approachable or not? But I just, I mean, it seems like me and him have getting some great conversations and I'm really enjoying getting to know the guy a little bit and just talking to Armstead, talking to Javon himself. It's like when this guy plays with a bended knee, when he plays with leverage, he gets a lot done. I mean, he's getting a lot done against the run, against the pass. Um, I'm very impressed with, with the way he's played. And for whatever reason in past years, he's had a hard time just avoiding, you know, hits on those knees and just staying active week after week this year, knock on wood, you know, he's been able to, to remain healthy and play with leverage, play with energy. Um, and it, it doesn't seem like he's not, those knees aren't wrapped. They're not, there's no indications that he's got pain. When I ask him about it, he's like, no, I feel good. I feel really good, and I feel you know real positive about the way I'm playing. Um, I know you get a chance to go around the room and talk to a number of the guys in the room. Have you had dialogue with with Kinlaw this year? And and what's your assessment? Because he seems to be in a great place mentally, emotionally, uh, maybe compared to you know where he was a year ago. Let's say. 
Yeah, certainly he's not. He doesn't need to be defensive uh, because he's he's playing so well. And, and I found him to be perfectly friendly every time I've, I've talked to him as well. And, and, and people who know him, um, especially people uh, who are with him, and I can't remember the name of the uh, the junior college he was in at Mississippi. I wrote a story about it, but uh, the people there really, really think the world of him just as a, um, a, a sweet person, a kind person. Um, and I think that's probably where he had a real kind of turnaround in his life, uh, did not have the easiest upbringing in the world. But, um, you know, I, I agree with what you're seeing on the field. I mean, uh, Kyle Shanahan's point today is that this guy can practice three days uh, every week. Um, you know, there's, uh, uh, a pathway for improvement that he just didn't have because of the injuries. I mean, even when he was playing, um, you know, he had to watch his snaps. Uh, he was on a side field a lot. Uh, this is just week in and week out practice. And that's how these guys get better. And I think you see it, you know, in, in years past, he was really easy for me to pick out, uh, when he was in the game. Um, he was bigger than everybody. He was higher than everybody this year you see him getting into that that crouch um right before the snap and he's down low and 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 that's what he needs to do uh consistently is hit the uh the guard whoever he's going against low uh once he gets up that's when he's he's easier to move out um of the uh the line of scrimmage there but um he's been doing a good job of that the knees are a part of it he's just working at it um, uh, and, and I think he's going to be pretty sought after. I don't know what the comp pick would be for Javon Kinlaw. It depends on uh, the contract he's offered, but uh, you know, I think it's safe to make a, make a, a, a bet that he's going to be snapped up in free agency. Are you surprised that Zach Ertz is not a 49er? I mean, he's out there, he's available. Dwelly has got the high ankle sprain. Um, looks like he's going to miss probably a number of weeks. Do you, are you surprised? I mean, what are you hearing on the Ertz front? Do you think Ertz is going to sign period at this point? Yeah, it's uh, it is surprising because it did seem like there were some teams that were um, hot and heavy to sign him after he became a free agent. And the 49ers were, were one of the, the teams. I was told that there are four teams, two in the AFC, two in the NFC. The two NFC teams were the, uh, the Eagles and the 49ers, um, but he just hasn't signed yet. And for the 49ers, you can sort of understand why um, he doesn't play special teams anymore. And right now, with all these injuries, that's that's a big deal. You need to have guys on your roster who are going to help you out there. I mean, we're, we're even seeing, um, you know, uh, uh, Logan Ryan uh, was playing special teams the other day. Chris Conley was playing special teams. Guys in their 30s are on that unit because if you're in uniform, uh, when the 49ers have all these injuries, you have to play it. So I think that's part of it. Uh, Ross Dwelly isn't going to be out for very much longer. He was doing some stuff on a side field today. Um, so I, I think it's just for these teams, there's a respect for Zach Ertz, um, but not all these teams have a role for him uh, at the moment. So I think that's kind of finding the right fit there. I don't know if an injury for, for one of these teams would do it. Uh, I know that the Eagles just got back uh, their, their tight end from an injury. So um, I think that's probably the reason why he's just kind of sitting out there um, unsigned right now. 
both guards are in, are listed as questionable. So Armstead, Burks, Dwelly, Hargra- Hargrave, and Mitchell are all out. And then questionable, Aaron Banks, Spencer Burford, Dre Greenlaw, Mooney Ward. Let's talk about Banks and Burford for a second. Banks has got a hip. I talked to him last week after the game, and he's like, man, it's getting harder and harder as the season goes on to roll out of the rack on Monday morning. He's had turf toe. He's had the hip. He's had a number of nagging injuries. And then Burford, if Banks and Burford can't go, Feliciano plays where and who's the other guard? I think that Banks is going to play just from what um, I saw on Friday. He was he was there in his usual left guard spot, and um, it was Feliciano in the right guard spot. Uh, Burford was out there, so um, it seems like he might be the backup at both spots. But in a scenario where both guys are um, unable to play, I, you know, I wonder whether. Uh, Ben Barch would uh, come in there. Your guy, Ben Barch. Um, right. I don't know. I don't know if he's um, more well versed uh, on one side or the other. But uh, you know, the Jaguars, Jaguars, Vikings, 49ers all play um, a lot of uh, kind of zone blocking technique. Uh, so when, um, yeah, I forget who was explaining this to us the other day. I guess it was Chris Forster. Burst. Yeah, Forster mentioned that George Warhop who was with Jacksonville was like, you guys ought to grab Ben Barch, which when I heard that story, I was wondering, is Chris telling this story out of school? Maybe, maybe this is not a good thing for George Warhop. It doesn't seem like the good kind of thing that you would necessarily want to say to another team in in the league. Didn't you? I don't know what you thought of that little anecdote. Yeah. I mean, when, when Chris Furster gets uh, cranking, um, it's, it's hard <laughs> to kind of shut off the spigot uh, at that point. <laughs> But the bottom line was that the 49ers were looking at Ezra Cleveland uh, around the time of, of the draft. Um, and Ezra Cleveland's a guard who was with Minnesota uh, around the time of the, the trade deadline. Sorry. Um, he was with Cleveland. He was on the outs in Cleveland. And he ends up shining with the Jaguars. Um, and that made Ben Barch expendable. And, um, and the Jaguars ended up. Uh, I forget they, they cut him and then they, they signed him to the practice squad. I forget how he reached the 49ers, but point being is that all these guys have been playing in similar offenses. So it shouldn't be um, a, a big stretch for, for Barch to, uh, to come in at some point if he's needed. It'll, it'll be interesting to see. I think he was active uh, for the Seahawks game played on special teams, uh, which kind of suggests that he would be the next man up if there are two injuries at, uh, at guard. Yeah. I mean, I think that's kind of an interesting one too. I kind of liked Barch in the draft process um, and, and kind of lost track of him. Didn't realize he was in Jacksonville. One of the guys that I think I really don't want to see this weekend is Dre Greenlaw. And I'm hearing that he's going to give it a go. Now he's got a hip injury. He's got an ankle injury. He's probably truth be told has about four other nagging injuries and he's just kind of dragging himself through this season. And they've got D. Winters sitting there, and they've got Jalen Graham sitting there, and they're playing a Cardinal team that I think they could probably beat without Dre Greenlaw. And I, to me, Matt, I think the 49ers need not just a Greenlaw, but they need Greenlaw at, you know, at full tilt to get to and win the Super Bowl this year. I'd love to see them baby him a little bit more down the stretch. What's your best guess? Uh, 
do you think he's going to go? And if not, is it uh, in with Burks out? Do you expect to see Winters? Do you expect to see Graham? Uh, Wilkes told me that uh, Winters is ahead of Graham, but I kind of like Graham better. Yeah, I mean, I do think that Greenlaw is going to go because Wilkes said he was going to go uh, when he spoke on Thursday. And because of what you just mentioned, uh, Oren Burks is not going to go. Uh, so they're already one uh, linebacker short. I, I agree with you. I think that Winters has been getting play ahead of Graham because he's better on special teams. Um, he's faster. There, there's no doubt about that. Winters is, is one of the fastest guys on the team. Uh, so that makes him valuable on, on kickoff coverage and, and things like that. That's why he's been in uniform. I do think that Graham is the better linebacker. Um, I've been I've been sort of describing them as a rookie version of uh, Warner and Greenlaw, where, where Graham is in the Warner role and uh, Winters is in the Greenlaw role. Um, the, the 49ers do think that Winters has a lot of Greenlaw skills, uh, certainly has the same sort of profile. Uh, low to the ground, fast, uh, can turn on a dime. Um, he doesn't have Dre Greenlaw's violence, his physicality. Um, I'm not sure anybody does, but, right. uh, so it's not a, it's not a one for one, uh, trade off there, but, um, I forget, uh, I think Greenlaw signed for one more season. My thought is that the 49ers thinking is if Greenlaw leaves in 2025, They've got a guy in Winters who can kind of uh, step into that role. A lot of a lot of talent there. There's a lot of talent at linebacker for sure. And then Mooney Ward. I mean, um, I asked Wilkes about Luter because I really liked the play that Luter made against Eskridge on Thanksgiving night. But they also have Logan Ryan, and and he, you know, he's got a corner experience. He's got safety experience. They've got Womack. They've got Oliver. Uh, they seem pretty well fortified, but Mooney's obviously their number one corner. Um, what what do you think there? I mean, do you think we'll see Luter? Do you think we'll see Jason Verrett? Um, I, I hadn't. I've been down there this week, but I didn't spend a lot of time out at practice studying Verrett. What's Verrett looking like? How's he moving around? Uh, well, and um, you know, you could just tell he's, he's got a bounce in his step. Uh, I think he's very happy to be out there, and I think if he was struggling. Um, you know, we, we only see the beginning of practice and, uh, the drills and things like that. And he looks, you know, he looks like he did last year, uh, and the year before. Um, uh, so I, I think he's very happy with where he is. And I think the, uh, you know, the 49ers are, uh, similarly happy with that. Um, you know, the question is when would he kind of come into play? And I think it's, if there was a scenario where Charvarius Ward, got hurt for an extended period, they would want that veteran presence back there. I and mean, it could be a really good story in, in the playoffs if, if, if something like that came to pass. Um, I do think that Charberry's Ward at least is going to make a push to play. Uh, John Lynch was on the radio this morning saying that, you know, he wanted to come back into the game against Seattle and uh, the 49ers held him back. So to your point about Greenlaw, I don't know whether they would – um, you know, err on the side of caution in that and give that groin one more week to heal. We've got a big game coming up on Christmas against the Ravens. Um, uh, so many defensive players are absent, though, that, uh, you know, each of these games is important to get that by. And, and that's where you could have a, a really nice stretch where 
uh, a dream, uh, green law gets, gets healthy or healthier. Um, all these guys, if you get that, uh, that buy in the first round and that's what everybody is shooting for. So my, that, that leads me to believe that if there's a chance that, uh, Ward can go, he will in Arizona. Um, Jair Brown. What, I mean, he has been so good. And what buddy of mine asked me the other day, Krug, do you think Jair Brown's better than Hafanga? And I realize Hafanga made the all pro team. Um, and he's, he's very instinctive. He flows towards the football almost at all times. Um, he's almost like a coach on the field and there's a lot to like about a Fonga, but Jair Brown might be a better athlete, might be faster, might be the bigger hitter, might be the better cover guy, might be the more sure tackler. I mean, there's a lot of things that Jair, when you really start to look closely may even do better than Talanoa. One, what do you think of them as a combo next year? Um, you know, and and would it would it be uh, Hafanga at the strong safety in the box, and Jair as the free safety covering the deep middle in the in the cover three, or how do you see the safeties? And and is Brown? What would you say to the somebody who says, "Hey, you know what? Brown's better than Hafanga." I mean, I'll say this: it's not like an absurd notion. It's not like, oh no, 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 no. It, it's close. I mean, it is really close. Oh, I agree with you. Um, and, and I think the 49ers should be kind of uh, complimented for that. They found two guys later in the draft who I think it's obvious are, are starting caliber. Um, and one guy better than the other. I, I, I'm having a hard time remembering Hufanga as a rookie. I know he came in a little bit in the end of the season. Uh, it was really his second year that uh, he had his, his star turn. But they were the, sort of the same things. I mean, he made a lot of picks, went to the Pro Bowl in his second year. Uh, so, I mean, I don't want to cop out and say it's pretty even. I, I do agree with you. I think uh, Brown is is faster, and you see that speed. He's always in the right spot. Um, but Hufanga was too, and, and I think that had to do with, uh, you know, mental ability, anticipation, and things like that. Brown is physically faster than Hufanga. And if, if they were paired next year, and frankly, when they, when they used a third round pick on Brown, I thought that they saw Gibson and his age and um, the fact that he was only signed for one year. And their idea was to pair Hufanga and, and Brown next season, or at least in 2025. Um, and in that scenario, um, yeah, I would say that Brown would be the free safety, Hufanga the strong safety, but there's so much. I mean, they're, they're moving back and forth all the time. Um, but in terms of deep speed and uh, being in the right spot, um, as, even as a rookie, Brown's already shown a real knack for that. Matty, what has been the key to the to the Niners' defensive turnaround? Is it Wilkes being on the sideline? Is it the addition of Chase Young up front? Is it um, Ambry Thomas playing the outside cornerback spot, Lenore shuddling inside, and Oliver uh, moving to the bench? I mean, if you had to say those are the three biggest changes since Cincinnati when when Cincinnati just gashed the Niners seemingly in any way they wanted. Um, and the Niners' defense has looked remarkably improved since then. What do you most attribute it to? Um, everything that you just mentioned, um, is, is, you know, a factor in that. I, I think it's the coverages. Um, I think that the, the three 
cornerbacks, uh, Thomas Ward and Lenore are playing really well right now um, coming out of the bye. I, I talked to Steve Wilkes about this in, in a piece that ran earlier this week. And, and he said that, you know, the, the 49ers were just too static. Uh, they're very proud of their defense as they should have been, but it led to them basically um, not doing a lot of disguises, not doing a lot of movement. They were so sure about themselves that they would just line up and uh, run whatever they were, you know, lined up in, um, you know, which, you know, adds to the speed of the unit. There's not a lot of thinking, et cetera, et cetera. That's their kind of ethos on, on defense. But um, teams had started to, to catch up with that, and especially teams with really smart veteran quarterbacks like Kirk Cousins and um, Joe Burrow. So before the, the Jaguars game, they really switched those up and um, did disguises and did things that they didn't usually do, a lot of pre-snap movement. And you could tell that Trevor Lawrence just didn't expect it. You know, when Trevor Lawrence looked at the 49ers film, um, it, it was sort of, uh, you know, what you see is what you get with the 49ers. And when they started moving around, uh, Lawrence, you know, still kind of in the developmental stage of his career, just was overmatched. And he had, he might have had the worst game uh, he's had since he was a rookie. So I, I think that that is the biggest thing. And when that started to happen, the, uh, the defensive line really kind of took effect. And Chase Young helps in that. Uh, the fact that they were well-rested helps in that. Uh, the fact that Lenore is playing nickel helps in that. But I think the, uh, the coverage, um, certainly in, the, in that Jaguars game, which set the tone for uh, the games after it, really was uh, probably the biggest reason couple last ones for Matty B. Uh, we appreciate him stopping by. Matt Barrows does a great job covering the Niners for the Athletic. Dave Lombardi does as well. Um, that is worth – you guys are the reason. You guys and and uh, Dane Brugler are the reason that I spend the money for the Athletic. Um, and I could talk to you guys, and I could probably have you just forward your pieces to me and say, hey, you could just give it to me. But you know what? I just I, – I, it's so good – and the, and I love the format of the app. I mean, I don't know if you have any insight into the app, but I love the way your guys' app looks. And I, and to me, it's very clean, and I like reading it. Um, two last ones. Larry, we're, we're not giving you any um, free <laughs> no. store with all that sausage and windshield money that you're pulling in. There's no <laughs> That's way. Right. That's you right. You can afford it. You can That's afford right. a subscription. I'm, I may actually get just get two and just let it just, you know, just <laughs> just have two and just go back and forth between them, kind of like showing off. Um, Tom Telesco out. Brandon Staley out. The, uh, you know, Black Monday is is looming the day after the NFL season. Are the 49ers going to be picked? Are they going to be picked apart? Is there who's most likely if you had to bit of put a wager on who's most likely to get picked off? Is Peters going to be a GM somewhere, or he's a Bay Area kid? Is he going to wait for Lynch? Uh, is Wilkes going to be a one-and-done, and he's going to be a head coach somewhere? Um, if not, who do you think? I mean, sometimes it's easy to predict. Sometimes there's a little bit more behind-the-scenes stuff going on here. Do you think the Niners are apt to lose anybody? Um, when I've seen people estimate, Matt, that seven to ten jobs could come open, and when I look, start looking around, Heck, it may be more. It could be 12. What do you think? Are the Niners going to lose some uh, coaches or front office people this offseason? 
Yeah, I'd say that Wilkes is probably the the top candidate. Um, it, it's it's a little um, hard to predict. I mean, um, he had great success in San Diego with with the Chargers under Ron Rivera about uh, I don't know uh, eight years ago or so when he when he moved out there. But um, they just fired a defensive minded head coach. Usually, teams go with the opposite. Yeah, right. um, so I, I would imagine that uh, they're looking for an offensive-minded head coach there. And the other opening that we know about is Carolina, and the, and the Panthers had a real opportunity to, to, to make Wilkes their head coach last year, and um, they went in a different direction. So I think there's a lot of water flowed under that bridge. Wilkes is from the city of Charlotte. I mean, that, that seemed like uh, just set up on a tee for Carolina. Um, after what Wilkes did as the interim coach there. And um, so I don't know if, if bridges have been burned there or what, but the two openings right now don't don't seem to scream uh, Steve Wilkes. And so I would think that if he did go, then you have to start worrying about, okay, who does he take with him? Is it a, a D'Amico Ryan's situation where he takes a rather, you know, little known um, person, uh, from the offensive side. Uh, in, in Ryan's case, it was uh, Bobby Slowick, who's now getting all sorts of praise for um, you know, how you know, well that rookie quarterback's doing. That, that, that team is a lot better than people thought it would be. So in the 49ers organization, guys like that are uh, the two Kubiaks, the brothers Kubiak, and then the, um, the tight ends coach, um, who probably does a lot more behind the scenes than uh, we know. Uh, he's been with the team for a long time. He's been a, a Shanahan assistant for a long time. He knows this offense, and that's what a defensive-minded coach, uh, if he becomes a head coach, would want in his organization. Um, you got a thought on Cam Newton? Game manager, game changer, game difference maker. He kind of, he kind of, uh, you know, he kind of used the pejorative on Brock Purdy. And I thought it was ill-advised and he kind of, then he today he tried to clarify, he talked for 10 minutes and then he threw Tom Brady and Peyton Manning into the game, game manager category, which only further kind of muddied the picture. Uh, what was your take on that? Yeah. I mean, um, I think that that's the, the take that probably a lot of people have. And, um, you know, I think it's uh, sort of a residue of, you know, how Purdy came into this league. And uh, it's going to be sort of a stigma that he has to to battle until, you know, he wins a Super Bowl or something big like that, something on the national stage. Uh, but, I mean, the, the numbers certainly, you know, all say that this this is not a, uh, a game manager or a system quarterback. I mean, we, we talked about it. 70% completion rate while attacking the, the deep ball. I mean, that's a that's a combination that you just don't see. I mean, what I wrote about coming yeah. out of the Seahawks game is that 49 uh, Brandon Ayuk already hit a thousand yards, but Kittle and Debo are well within striking distance of hitting a thousand too. So they would have three receivers breaking the a thousand yard mark in one season. That's like. That, that's uh, hit, hitting for the cycle. I mean, that that is a blue moon thing. It's only happened five times in NFL history, uh, and it reflects very well on the uh, on the quarterback. So um, I think that that would go a long way toward a a Brock Purdy 
MVP award if he's able to engineer that. Can I give you a a, a an idea for a story or an I or at least a story that I would love for you to write? Okay. I would love for you because you would be able to get this done in a way that I can't and other people can't. I'd love for you to flesh out. I tried to ask Kyle Shanahan a few weeks back, what role does Mike Shanahan play in preparation with the 49ers? I look at Mike Shanahan, Maddie, I see a very young, vibrant uh, former coach with a huge pedigree who you know every night goes to bed with the dream of, Kyle's got to win the Super Bowl. Kyle's got to win the Super Bowl. If Mike could do anything to get deliver that for his son, I think that he would. I would love it if you could contact Mike and write a story and just outline exactly what he does do to help his son. Kyle said, well, oh, you know, he doesn't do plays. He doesn't suggest, that, you know, doesn't draw plays. But Mike was so great at that. But he, but he helps me in every way there is. And it's like, so it's like we got two different things there, right? He doesn't run, d- design plays, but that's what he was great at. But he helps Kyle in every way imaginable. I would love to do the deep dive in the Matt Barrows athletic deep dive on what exactly Mike Shanahan does do. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you be kind of curious as to find that out? Because he's such a I, genius, I would be. genius I, I, coach. It would be hard to do because – they're both very sensitive about that. And I think you probably sure. found that out with your question. I, I went down that road before the 21 draft, the Trey Lance draft, because Mike Shanahan was around the building a lot that spring. Um, and Mike Shanahan had the experience of drafting a quarterback very highly in RG3. Right. Year he, he drafted and Kirk, Kirk Cousins. Cousins. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, I uh, was under the impression that Mike was, you know, providing a big assist on this, or at least advice. But um, Shanahan reacted very strongly to that suggestion. Um, so, I mean, and sometimes when someone reacts, pushing back, you mean pushing back, pushing back that mm. no, he didn't didn't help us. You know, we we're the coaches, we do it all. Uh, but it was it was such a hard pushback that. You know, sometimes when that happens, you think, oh, I, I wonder whether there's an element of truth there. So um, I don't know. It, it would be hard to, to, to do from the standpoint of asking both of those individuals, because I think that they're very wary of um, any notion that that Mike is kind of uh, running a shadow team, you know, in the background. He's the puppet master of, yeah, of it all. No, I know. And he's and not. He- but and right, he's not. But I would love to know specifically, like something that Kyle had him do, and I think it would just be very interesting because of the because of his connection to the last Super Bowl and because of how smart he is and because of how thoroughly competent he is as an offensive coach. Maddie, we'll let you go. Have a great night, man. We appreciate everything that you do. Always good to see you down there. You do a phenomenal job, my friend. I hope I don't embarrass you with too much praise, but you you really do a great job. The players respect you. I respect you. The media respects you. Shanahan does. Uh, keep it rolling, brother. Um, Larry, I can't have too much praise. I just love it. It's like <laughs> straight into my veins, Larry. Um, no, thank you for having me on. Um, I always enjoy our chats, and I'll, I'll see you down there. Sounds good. Matt Barrows from The Athletic. Fantastic. He is fantastic. Folks, get The Athletic. Get The Athletic. Why? Matt Barrows.
Matt Barrows is is worth getting in the athletic. All right, let's do this. I've got a couple chats I want to read. Um, I'll I'll put the uh, I'll put the link in the if you somebody wants to jump in via the via the um, the video call. We'll, we'll put the chat in the link if somebody wants to respond to anything Maddie said there. Uh, and if nobody wants to, no sweat. I'm going to get ready to have a little Friday night dinner with the family um, and get ready for the weekend. Tomorrow on the channel at 9 a.m., the coach will stop by in his regular time slot. We'll do a full breakdown tomorrow of Niners Cardinals and look ahead to the game on Sunday. Uh, Sunday, 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 Sunday. Uh, join us if you don't have plans. What are you doing for Niners Cardinals this weekend? Hey, how about check out? The Krug Show Watch Party. We're going to be at Pig and a Pickle in Corte Madera. They're at 341 Corte Madera Town Center, right there in Corte Madera in Marin County. Uh, I'll be there from roughly noon on. We'll watch the game at 1. We'll do the post game if we can afterwards. Um, hopefully the Wi-Fi will be good enough for, to do the post game there at Pig and a Pickle. We'll have some barbecue. We'll have a couple beers. Uh, we'll chop it up with some of our fans and, and my, I'll bring my entire family. Kev's going to be there. I think Damon Bruce is going to be in the house. Uh, I've got a number of people that said they are going to, that have already kind of RSVP'd. Uh, other than that, I have no idea how many people will show up. It's not the hugest restaurant. Um, so, you know, don't bring thousands of people, but, uh, <laughs> it's bigger than their, their location in, in, uh, in Emeryville. So stop by, stop by. And you know, it's, it's, uh, tomorrow is De- or Sunday is December 17th. So we're getting right down to the Christmas shopping nitty gritty. This might be the last main weekend before, um, you know, Christmas Eve. And unless you're the, like really the last minute shopper, um, you know, this is probably a big shopping weekend for most people. If you're like me, you'll get that list from your wife or girlfriend that says, Hey, by the way, we got to get gifts for this person, that person, this person, and that person. Oh no, let's get that done. And by the way, since they live back East, we got to get those gifts done now. So there'll be a lot of people doing Christmas shopping, multitask, come out, have a beer, have a, have a, you know, have some brisket, maybe a brisket sandwich or, or have the incredible potato chips that they make there at uh, Pig and a Pickle. Only in Corte Madera do they make the potato chips cooked in beef fat. Amazing potato chip. Maybe the greatest potato chip of all time. Have a beer. Have a drink. Maybe a little root beer. And then hit the mall. If you're not the biggest Niner fan. Well, first of all, if you're not the biggest Niner fan, you're probably not that big of a fan of the channel. But if you are a uh, Niner fan and you have Christmas shopping to do, multitask come on out say hello have a beer um and then go do some christmas shopping while the game's going on if you want to come back we'll do the post game there uh we're looking forward to a great afternoon at pig and a pickle damon stainbrook the owner of pig and a pickle is there uh he's going to be there and um, we'd love to see you all there so it's our watch party slash meet and greet slash any excuse to eat barbecue and uh, throw back a couple cocktails in the afternoon. Day drinking. Join us for a day of day drinking at, uh, at Pig and a Pickle in Corte Madera. Once again, Sunday, December 17th, this Sunday. Uh, the game starts at 1. I'll be there at roughly noon. The place closes down at 8. Uh, we'll probably do the post-game show as soon as the game's over, around 4, 4.30. 
uh, probably go till about six and we'll hang out. So should be a fun day and uh, I'm looking forward to it. So if you haven't been to pig in a pickle and you want to stop by and say hello, please do. We'd love to see you. All right. Um, couple of the chats, couple of the chats. Uh, Ishmael O says, man, you really do got a radio voice. <laughs> Thank you. It's my most polished radio voice. Uh, there you go. Probably should take the brand off the page. There we go. We're back. And like that, we're back. Um, let's see. Let's see. Uh, what do we, what else do we have here in the, in the chat that we want to get to? Uh, somebody's saying I live in Nevada. Otherwise I'd be there. Well, yeah, don't come from Nevada. I mean, it's, you gotta be a Bay area listener. You gotta be a Bay area viewer. You gotta be a fan. That's that's local. Um, Ishmael says, I miss California. He says, I miss Cali, but way too expensive out there. It is a little pricey. It's a little pricey. Um, what else? What else? We have, we have one super that we want to get to here from Bazzi Mian. He says, uh, Cam Newton speaking nonsense says Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, and Drew Brees are game managers, while Joe Burrow is a game changer and says teams won't build around the former quarterbacks. Huh. Well, I mean, I like how Cam <laughs> groups himself as a game changer, but Tom Brady's not. Peyton Manning's not. They're game managers. But Cam is a game changer. I mean, you know, just whatever. And then, you know, the whole thing, too, is like all those quarterbacks that he ripped, I think are pretty much better than him. I mean, Cam had three winning seasons and 10. I mean, he had seven losing seasons. And he had multiple seasons where he was winless. So, I, I mean, Dak Prescott may win the MVP. Tua Tagovailoa is very accurate, uh, moves pretty well, and, you know, is a pretty damn good quarterback. Jared Goff has the exact same resume outside of the MVP as Cam. He's been to one Super Bowl and lost. Um, and then Brady, are you, are you kidding me? Tom Brady is, 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 is a game manager? I mean, I'd love to hear Tom's reaction to... Uh, you know, Cam's Cam Newton's label. Yeah. Hey, uh, Tom, uh, Cam Newton says you're a game manager. Your thoughts. I mean, Peyton Manning. These are like some of the greatest quarterbacks that have ever played the game. Drew Brees. These Hall of Fame quarterbacks are game managers. Uh, it's just, I don't know. To me, it was really obvious when Cam walked it back today that, um, you know, that he he knew the names of the executives for Fox and for ESPN that are doing the hiring. It's abundantly clear to me that he knows how much um, Shannon Sharp makes. He knows how much all these guys make on ESPN and on Fox. And he wants one of those gigs. And so he's just going to fire off some loud opinions, hope it gets attention, and then hope that one of their hiring people at Fox or ESPN goes, you know what? There's an awful lot of buzz around Cam Newton. Let's get him and throw 750 grand in his lap a year to, to be on, you know, whatever, get up and start barking or whatever, whatever show they're going to come up with. And, uh, and I, I get the sense that, that he's dreaming that dream. He's trying desperately to get on, 
on television. And then the, uh, you know, there's people that are like, well, he's entitled to his opinion. Nobody ever said he wasn't entitled to his opinion. He's definitely entitled to his opinion. Everybody's entitled to their opinion. It's just a matter of, it's not about, do you have an opinion? It's how well do you support your opinion? That's what makes a good commentator a good commentator. Don't just tell me what you think. Tell me what you think and why you think it. That, I to me, is far. That's when you've crossed over into a new level. When you can say, hey, I like player A over player B, and here's why. A, B, C, D, and E. You know, these are this is my proof. It's like it's like anybody can write an opinion piece. Do you have a bibliography? You know, anybody can tell me what they think, but can you support it with facts that actually add to your argument? So there you go. I I just I think that um, you know he basically was just like Brock Purdy. He's like. He's like, first got him, he called him Brack instead of Brock. Then he's like, Brock Purdy, he's not the reason the Niners are good. Yeah, he is, Cam. Yes, he is. And if they took him out and they replaced him with Sam Darnold, they wouldn't be good. Uh, they wouldn't be as good. I mean, they still have nice weapons, but they had good weapons with Jimmy. Uh, they weren't scoring 33 points a game. That's for sure. Um, and then, you know, you're going to rip a guy in Brock Purdy who 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 is better than he's better in his first two years than than you were in your first two years and you're gonna rip Brock Purdy um I don't know I I don't I don't know where to go with that I really don't FP Santangelo senior has joined FP big fan of F, FP by the way um as good a baseball analyst as there is, in my opinion. Um, I tweeted something the other day about about the Giants' new outfielder, Jung-Hoo Lee, and Rich Aurelia jumped in and said, you know, I can't necessarily disagree with any of your, your points, and my points were just that I think Jung-Hoo Lee, who's got a great batting eye, I'm not sure if that's going to matter in the big leagues because I think – he, they're just going to challenge him in the middle of the plate with hard stuff because the average fastball in that KBO is like 88 and the average fastball in the bigs is like 94. And like every team's got like five guys that can throw like 96. And there's like two or three guys on your staff that can like, you know, crest a hundred, you know I mean? They're the, so, I mean, you're, he's going to be getting hard stuff. I think in the zone all year long. And can he do it? I mean, I just don't know to me. It's a huge, huge, whatever you want to call it, roll of the dice, I guess is what I would call it. Huge roll of the dice. He can't be a platoon guy. He's got to be an everyday guy, right? That's one. Um, he can't be one of these guys that that uh, you can knock the bat out of his hands. He's got to be, you know, I, to me, he can't be like a, a seven, eight, nine hitter, not for $113 million, not for $19 million a year. He's got to be an everyday guy, not a platoon. He's got to be a center fielder, not a left fielder. He's got to be a top of the lineup threat, not a bottom of the lineup guy. Um, I just think that it's just bizarre that the Giants, who don't take a lot of risks, took a what seems, from where I'm sitting, to be a huge risk <laughs> in Jung Hoo Lee. And hopefully I'm wrong. Hopefully it will all work out well. 
Uh, everybody knows me knows I'm a hardcore lifelong Giants fan and I'll always be a Giants fan. So I'm rooting for them too. I hope he's good. I hope he's good. But to me, I was like, wow, you know, that's a huge risk and a big projection. And if, if it's true, what the scouts that I've talked to say, which is that the KBO is the equivalent of like the Cal league, somewhere between like the Cal league and double a, you just gave $113 million and six years to a guy. Even if we say on the high end, it's double a, would you give a hundred and $13 million to a, a, a double a guy? I mean, isn't Luis Matos kind of a double, a guy who's conquered double a you're not giving him 113 million. So we'll see. We'll see. And, and the other thing I'd say is, man, I hope it, I hope this is not the giants big move. I hope their big move is, you know, Bellinger or, you know, Snell, Yamamoto, um, you know, Marcus Stroman, uh, Reese Hoskins, by the way, when I think of FP, I think of great Sacramento players. How cool would it be to have Reese Hoskins? To me, if I ran the Giants, Reese Hoskins, the ink would be dry, would be dry on the Reese Hoskins deal. That thing would be done. I love Reese Hoskins. And I heard Dave Fleming on with uh, Kawakami on the Kawakami TK podcast. Dave says that every time they went to Philly, that Hoskins would be like, hey, man, how's, how's this guy in San Francisco? How's that guy? And you know, like, you know, asking about crook and asking about people at the station. And so he's like, it sounds like from at least what Fleming shared with Kawakami that Reese Hoskins is very much kind of a NorCal guy, a NorCal thinker. And he, I'm a Sac State guy. I went to Sac State. This guy, my, my, my brother sent his kid to Jesuit, sends his kid right now to Jesuit. Um, Reese Hoskins is Jesuit high school in Sac State. And I would, to me, if I ran the Giants, he'd be signed already. I love the idea of Reese Hoskins at first base for the Giants. People say, well, the defense. I'm not worried about the defense. I'm worried about having a 3-4-5 that can, you know, some thump in the middle of that lineup. And I really like the idea of Reese Hoskins uh, in a Giant uniform. And, I, 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 man, I, the fact that he's not signed yet makes me nervous. Makes me a little nervous. It's like, why? Why are they? Why haven't they signed Reese Hoskins? Go get that guy. I'll tell you the other guy I wouldn't mind having if they're you know if you're looking for bats. I wouldn't mind Rowdy Telez. Did Rowdy Rowdy Telez sign? It's another guy. I remember uh, when FP's kid was our producer at KMBR. I know he was buddies with Rowdy Rowdy Telez. He'd be like, "Hey, I talked to Rowdy Telez the other day. Rowdy Telez is a good hitter. I, I wouldn't mind having Rowdy Telez." Um, let's hit a couple on the chat here. Sean Hensley says, I hope Purdy has Brandon Ayuk for years. Yeah. Well, that's the other big question. Can the Niners, can the Niners re-sign Brandon Ayuk? He's making, he's going to make big, big money, big money. Uh, John Stone says he's joined. Thank you, John. Uh, Tommy Davidson says he's joined. Thank you, Tommy. Appreciate you. Ishmael O says I toured Sac State and I was born in Sacramento. It's so funny when I was in high school and they were like, my dad's like, hey, you know, have you thought about applying to Sac State? And my sister was going to Davis. And I Sacramento, as growing up in San Francisco, I always thought, oh, it's flat. And it's like just hot. And I just figured, you know, I, I pictured like six guys in the back of a pickup dipping in like, you know, sweating in the heat. And then I got up there and I'm like, oh, my God, Sacramento's beautiful. There's, you know, it, they call it the city of trees. 
and it's beautiful. I mean, Sacramento is a really, really nice place. I enjoyed spending time on the river. I enjoyed, uh, you know, going, you know, really, really inexpensive golf. Um, it's a great baseball town and it was a real fun town to go to college in. And, you know, we used to party in, at America live and to club to me and all these different places, Harlow's. And then we'd go like maybe Saturday night, roll down to Davis and go party down there. Um, and it was fun. It was a lot of fun. And then, you know, Sunday mornings we'd get up, we'd go, you know, up to, up the hill to, uh, you know, over the hill down to, uh, you know, to South shore or North shore and, and, uh, and do a whole day of like, you know, watching football and betting on football, skiing. You could do skiing in the winter. You could go water skiing at, you know, Lake Comanche or wherever it was. There's a bunch of different spots that you could go water skiing in the summer. Um, just very underrated town. Very, very underrated town. Um, Crow says, where is Yamamoto going, Larry? I, I fear the Dodgers. But you know what I see with Yamamoto? I see Lincecum. And I and I don't know that he's Timmy, but I see Lincecum. I see a smallish guy who may have a short-lived prime, but it, he, I see a guy with power arsenal with amazing command. And looking at this guy, he's got three strike you out pitches, right? He's got the fastball that looks really heavy. He's kind of reminds me of Linscombe in that he doesn't have a crazy. He's like, you know, when he's standing there in this windup is he's standing straight up. He doesn't have a crazy deal, but then he's got this huge step towards the plate. And here comes 96 out of a 510, 175 pound body. And then he's got this killer splitter that just falls like towards the back right foot of right-handed hitters. Um, <clears throat> just truly nasty. And then he throws a curveball that looks kind of funky, like, like a curveball that almost is unique. Like, um, like you could, maybe hitters don't see it all that well. So you got, got, got a, a funky curveball, a ridiculous splitter, a super heavy fastball and unbelievable command. That to me is Lincecum. Now, Linscombe didn't last. I mean, go look. I mean, Linscombe, what did Linscombe have? He didn't have a 15-year career. Um, and this guy might not either. And I've seen people estimate 12-year deals. Oof, I don't know if I want to go 12 years on Yamamoto. But he is 25. And if you got him for 10 years, maybe he gives you eight good years and two bad years. I mean, that's a long deal. It's a long contract, especially for a pitcher, especially for a power pitcher and a small body. But um, I'll tell you this, Yamamoto is real. He is real. And if you told me that come April or May, that the talk of MLB was not Shohei, but Yamamoto wouldn't be shocked. Wouldn't be shocked. I think he could be that kind of a guy, that kind of a power, you know, that kind of like, hey, man, don't miss this guy's starts. Like everybody in, in the country is like, Yamamoto's going tonight. Like he becomes like this must watch kind of guy. So I thought I heard something three or four weeks ago that he wanted to be on the West coast. So maybe that puts the giants and Dodgers firmly at the top of the list, but then you're, you know, he's become uh, you know, it's been a tug of war. It sounds like between the Mets and the Yankees, Steve Cohen made the trip to Japan and met him face to face. The Yankees supposedly from what I'm reading, do not want to get outbid on Yamamoto. They've, you know, they went after Tanaka. They're the ones who had Hideki Arabu. You know, they've they've taken several forays. 
uh, into the Far East and, and had some good success. So uh, I could see both those New York teams really badly wanting him. Philly supposedly wants him. Cubbies supposedly really want him. I mean, Yamamoto, the one thing with the Giants, I think they're intrigued by Yamamoto is he's box office. So I think he'd sign Blake Snell, and, and Blake Snell might give him, you know, every bit as good a starting pitcher. He's a lefty. He'd be nice. But Yamamoto could be really box office. He could have like a Fernando Mania type thing going where every night that he's pitching, it's like the stands are packed, the bleachers are filled, the walk-up crowd's amazing, the energy in the yard's crazy. Um, I think there's potential for that. So that's what intrigues me about Yamamoto. If I could call my shots, I would say, give me Reese Hoskins, give me Yamamoto, give me one more power arm leading into Doval. So maybe Fuji, Fujikami is his name, uh, or Shintaro is his name, the, the former A who's now in Baltimore, guy throws 106 or whatever. I like that guy's arm. I wouldn't mind um, Hater. Hater would be a nice little setup guy for Doval. Wouldn't mind Jordan Hicks if he has. Has he signed yet? I'm not sure if he has. But I like those. Maybe one big time power arm, one big time starting pitcher, Reese Hoskins. Uh, that would be enough for me. That would make me excited. Excited about the year ahead. Uh, Sharif Samara says that he joined the Krug Show. Appreciate that. Keeks says I joined the Krug Show. Uh, Janos Villanueva, I've joined the Krug Show. Appreciate that. Noe has joined the Krug Show. Uh, Sports House says, have FP joined the show? I've had FP on before. I don't know if FP's around, but if FP would like to join the show, um, I could, we could, I could, just, I could invite him right now. Uh, this is what I'll do. I'll, I don't know if FP, I don't even, I, don't, I haven't talked to FP. I don't know where he's at. But let me see if I type in FP. Believe this is FP. Yeah, there it is. I've got multiple FPs. Oh, there we go. I'll I'll send FP the the link, and if he can jump in, awesome. I'd love to talk a little ball with FP on the channel. Um, I'd love to see FP get on YouTube and have his own channel. I mean, it would be incredible. Um, I'm going to talk a lot of baseball this year in the evenings, especially with KMBR eliminating the nighttime show. I, you know, the one thing that I, I really, I mean, it's all budgetary. And we talked about this when FP and um, Paulie Mack got, got, uh, got downsized. Um, it has nothing to do with those guys. Paulie is a huge talent. FP is a huge talent. It has to do with the fact that the, the sales market is just evaporated and it's put a strain on radio. And so they just can't afford, uh, it's not going to look the same going forward and it's not going to look the same in two years and it's not going to look the same after that in four years. And it's just, it's just kind of the way radio is. It really has nothing to do with, um, with those guys' talents. You know, as I, as I said a few weeks ago, I think FP is a great baseball analyst. I think Paulie's very entertaining in the morning. Um, and it's just, it has everything to do with the economy and it has everything to do with kind of where, you know, I've got four boys, I've got four kids. I've got three boys and a girl. Um, I've got a 14 year old son. I've got a son who pitches, uh, varsity at Northgate Walnut Creek. I've got a 22 year old son. They're not dialed into AM radio. They're dialed into YouTube. They're dialed into this, their phone, right? So 
it's funny you get into the car your your car doesn't pair to your your phone doesn't pair to your car your car pairs to your phone so this the phone it becomes the star of everybody's media um you know media consumption and so the uh, when you get in the car the podcasts are on the same level as uh the radio whether it be satellite radio or terrestrial radio no matter what you're listening to um the podcast and the youtube is on an equal playing field and it's all one button away one touch away and so oftentimes that's what happens is um you know why would you listen to 17 mi minutes of a commercial on a 45 minute commute if you could listen to two minutes of a commercial and have a podcast that's ex about something that you really are passionate about or just kind of like the difference between um you know uh like Pandora versus the radio. I know there were people that loved Pandora for a while and where you listen to a genre of music waiting for a song that you love, love. Well now, I mean, my kids don't listen to Pandora. They're listening to Apple music or Spotify or whatever, because they, they want their favorite song on repeat mode and they're going to go right to what they want. They're we're the ones who used to, well, we'll listen to this radio station, hoping they play our favorite song. Oh, we'll listen to this you know, Pandora genre, because we like this genre of music and, um, you know, we'll choose songs in that genre. Now it's like, Hey, no, I want to, I want exactly what I want when I want it. And if I want to listen to that song 19 times, I want to be able to listen to that song 19 times. So Spotify, Apple music, all that, all that is just so much jumped ahead of radio. And that's just kind of the reality of the, the current situation. That's where people are at. Uh, Tommy Davidson says, I joined. John Stone says, I joined. Appreciate you. Um, anyway, we appreciate all you guys for jumping in and, uh, and, and supporting the Krug show. By the way, a couple things on the Krug show. Um, we are sitting today at 30,000. We crested 30,000 this morning. We're almost at 30,100. We've added over 100 subscribers uh, just since this morning. We're at 30, 31,090 total subs, and we've had over 2.3, nearly 2.4 million views of Krug Show videos and or live streams just in the last 28 days. So I, I got to thank the audience uh, for for coming through in a big way. We've had over almost 275,000 watch hours of our content in the last four weeks alone. So I'm just, I'm floored by that. I, you know, these are numbers that I only could dream of when we first got this thing rolling. And now uh, it's just spitting out huge, huge amounts of, uh, of content. We are, and you guys are responding to it. And I really, I really do appreciate it. We talk Niners, we talk Warriors, we talk Giants, um, we talk them all. We talk it all. So uh, um, join us on YouTube. And tomorrow morning at 9 a.m., the coach will be in the house. And as I said, Sunday, uh, the post game, join us after Niners Cardinals, hopefully a win. Uh, Kev will be in the house. My oldest son, he's going to join us from uh, Pig and a Pickle. We're also going to have um, Bay Area Baller will be joining us, Danny and Rye, two OGs on the Krug Show channel will join us as well. JD from KMBR, when his show is done, he's going to be joining us.
And we'll talk a lot of Niner football on Sunday and look ahead to that Ravens game. Uh, Tommy Davidson on the chat says, Larry Rocks, my 49er info source. Thank you, brother. Calba Camigo is one of our originals and also a, a Krug Show channel member. Oh, by the way, we should mention that. For all channel members, and we do have channel members who pay like $5.99 a month, um, and they're getting videos ahead of time. So the stuff that we put out, when you're a channel member, you get it sooner than everybody else. Calba's one of those people. He says Rowdy Telez already signed with the Pirates. Oh, that sucks. Yeah, because Rowdy can flat out rake. <laughs> He's a big-time hitter, man. He's a big-time hitter. And and I like the – I'll say this. The one idea that I do enjoy from Farhan is I like the fact that the Giants are looking for guys who have ties to Northern California. Why? Because not everybody wants to live here. Okay, and we talked about this before, the whole Buster thing. That's the other thing, dude. Shame on the people ripping Buster Posey for just sharing that some of the wives and some of the players that he's talked to um, in this pursuit of free agents are not that keen on living in San Francisco. So, okay, I get why that would piss people off. We're from here. We're proud of our region. We don't like the fact that other people don't appreciate it. And um, we definitely don't like people talking bad about a place that we all call home and have for years and years and years. Many of us are natives, whether native Sacramento people or native San Franciscans. Um, you know, nobody wants to hear bad things said about their about their city. But Buster's not saying it. Buster's just sharing it. So these people that are like, I hope Buster doesn't make the Hall of Fame. Shame on you. Buster's class. And if he's telling you that wives of big leaguers that he's pursued as free agents or tried to convince to come here as free agents don't want to be here, don't crush Buster. I mean, it's just, it's the way it is. I mean, we all know what it is. I mean, it doesn't take a genius to figure this out. San Francisco has become a political football. Gavin Newsom may or may not run for president. Gavin Newsom comes from San Francisco. Um, he's actually comes from Marin, but you know what I'm saying? He basically comes from San Francisco. And so, uh, there's an awful lot of the right wing media that are like, want to use San Francisco as a way to discredit him and to derail any efforts he has and take your politics aside. Cause I don't care about your politics and you don't care about mine, but I would just say this, there's, that's what's going on. And so. You see lots. I mean, has San Francisco had its problems? Yeah. But San Diego, um, I've got buddies who were down there who showed me just massive homeless encampments. Um, Los Angeles has massive homeless encampments. Why? Because they're West Coast cities where you don't freeze to death at night when you sleep outside. So homeless people that are down in their luck find their way to the West Coast because they can survive on the street where you can't survive in Chicago, Illinois, on the street, you're going to freeze. But you can in San Francisco. And so they come to San Francisco. Um, and then it gets reported that there's feces everywhere and needles and all kinds of drugs and dirt and filth. And wives of big league players who might be from Arizona, Florida, Georgia, Texas, wherever, maybe places that are more conservative than San Francisco, read this and we're like, Hey, we don't want to go there. And then I really think there may be even some peer pressure from some of their friends and family 
going, hey, you don't want to go there. You had your choice and you chose to go to San Francisco. No way. Really? And you know, and I know that it, there's far da- more dangerous cities in, in the country than San Francisco. There's probably far dirtier cities in the country than San Francisco. But perception is reality. Doesn't matter if it's accurate. It's the perception. The perception is it's not the place to be. And so when Buster came out and said that, I think he's just speaking openly and honestly about what he's experiencing on that side of the desk, trying to attract free agents to the Giants. And I feel bad for Farhan. I feel bad for Larry Bear and the Giants owners. I feel bad for Buster um, because it makes their job harder. Nobody wants to, if, if nobody wants to live out here because of, of, of the climate, let's just say, uh, not non-weather climate, um, that's, that's the reality. Don't sit there and start crushing Buster. Like Buster's the reason. Like he, Buster's not running the city down. Buster's sharing with you what he's experiencing. And I think Buster's being honest. So I, there was an awful lot of people that saw Buster's comments and were just destroying him. Like he's the reason the Giants aren't signing free agents. No, he's expressing what he's experiencing. And um, I don't know. I mean, it's not, it, 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 I don't like hearing it. That's for sure. But I definitely am not going to be in the mode of like, um, hey, I'm going to, I'm going to rip Buster Posey. Come on. Seriously, is one of the all time great Giants. Um, Rusty Welsh says, growing up in Sacramento, I think you're wrong. <laughs> really? You don't like Sacramento? All right. Bazi Mian says, so many Bay Area transplants in Sactown now, all the way down to Elk Grove, too. That's another guy. There's a lot of talk that the Cardinals may move Dylan Carlson. Wouldn't mind Dylan Carlson in the Giants outfield. He had a nice little start to his career. He's an Elk Grove kid. Wouldn't mind him coming here. That'd be nice. Uh, Rusty Welsh. Sacramento had nothing to offer. Oh, man. I, I'd i have to push back on that. I'd have to push back hard on that. Gregorio uh, Avalos is two hours from the beach and the snow. I don't know. I mean, first of all, I like heat. I like Sacramento heat. I It didn't bother me. Um, it's comfortable heat. It's not humid. It's not humidity. It's not Arizona. It's hot. I mean, it's 95 to 110, but I like, I like, you know, summertime heat. You know, I like putting on some shorts and barbecuing and throwing the ball around in the yard with my son. And, you know, I love going to like a river cats game at night and sitting outside in that great weather in the evenings. Uh, I look forward. I mean, to me, that's nice. I would, I would rather, I'd rather have a hot night in sack wearing shorts than a freezing night in San Francisco, just absolutely sitting there going, when is this game going to end? When is this game going to end? Um, Grand Admiral Shanahan says Jordan Hicks, 27 years old, 103 miles an hour for the pen. Yeah, could you imagine if the Giants could get a couple of big time power arms and a Roldis Chapman or a Jordan Hicks or uh, you know the the, le- the 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 former A and Oriole that I was mentioning before, uh, Fujiyami, I think his name is. Could you imagine if they could get Giants could get like a couple of super hard power arms in front of Doval? I mean, they you know, and with with uh, Harrison coming up and Wizenhunt coming up, they may only really need one more starter 
and maybe one live armed, really live armed reliever. Um, they need a couple hitters, in my opinion. But um, you know, if you could get if you could get a, you know, they're not a million pieces away. I think they're a few pieces away from being uh, being competitive. So uh, we got this one from Los Coranta E Nieves de San to San Francisco. He says, "Hey, Larry, you." are a game changer. Sean Hensley says radio's dead. I don't know if it's dead, but it's on life support. There's no question about it. Um, we got this one from Hanif Razak, who was on earlier today. He says, Larry, honestly, I think when Cam Newton says game changer, he means someone that can use his legs. Of course, I don't agree with it because non-mobile quarterbacks can be game changers. But then why would he have Dak Prescott as a, as a, um, as a, as a, you know, as a non game changer. And why would he have Brock Purdy? Brock Purdy moves exceptionally well. I would say if there's one part of Brock's game, that's for, that's totally not, you know, misunderstood. People look at him and say, ah, not much of an athlete, super quick. He's super quick. He's a hard guy to sack. Um, there you go. Crow says, can't wait for Larry and Lombardi to catch cone. He's going to be so salty. I don't know, man. He's pretty far out there. He's pretty far out there. I'm at 31,100. I think, I think last I checked with Grant the other day, I said, where are you at, bro? He's like, uh, 72,000, 72,000. Grant's making a boatload of cash right now. Um, Tony D says, Krug, when's the home studio getting that update Monday, Monday. I can't wait to Monday. All those flags, the bookcase, the carpeted walls, it's all changing. You're going to have a totally different look in here. I think you guys are really going to enjoy it. I know I'm going to enjoy it. Uh, we got new lighting, new everything, new walls, no more, uh, no more Niner flags. It's going to have a, it's going to have a nice, nice dressed up look. I think you guys are going to really dig it. But yeah, Monday, Monday it gets installed. Chris Azorno says all 98.7 is a great is a oh wait what's it say alt 98.7 is a great station from la if you love alternative music old and new greg papa and john lund are always a pleasure to listen to also larry's insightful analysis thank you i appreciate that uh and i do i'm a big fan of john and greg big fan john and i, I coach john's team in little league um, and now John's kid's like a sophomore at ASU. <laughs> Sometimes I'll be like, Johnny, how's, how's that little boy? You'd be like, uh, he can bench 240, and, uh, you know, he's, uh, he's a sophomore at ASU. He's in the Cronkite school there for broadcasts. So I had George, his kid, on my little league team when he was, you know, he's, he's a year younger than my son, Kevin, and uh, we, we drafted him. We drafted him. I'm like, that's John's kid. I'm going to draft John's kid. And uh, he like, kind of played up. So he was like one of the smallest kids in the league. And the kid, I mean, it just didn't bother him. He hustled. He, you know, he would get hit by a pitch. I mean, he was a little kid. He was really little. He was almost a full year younger than the rest of the team. Never cried once. Super great attitude. Love that kid. I love the uh, Johnny's kid, George Lund. 
and I hope great things for him coming up, coming up in the future at, uh, coming out of Arizona state. What a great time of your life to go to college and enjoy, uh, enjoy, you know, getting away from home, living out on your own. Oh, just great days. Great days. Sean Hensley says, love the Bay area. And I'm happy with when people don't want to add to the overcrowding. Yeah. Well, that's right. I mean, it's, there's that too. Uh, Ishmael O says San Francisco is dope. There you go. And then he says, weather is always nice. I don't know if it's always nice, um, but it's never freezing. <laughs> Cosmos says, Krug, don't get me started. Jameson Joy says, love the city. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There's no doubt. Um, Cosmos says, San Francisco is becoming Portland. We've got this one from Bozzy Mian. I live in the East Coast currently. You'll be amazed at how much they think California is a hellhole, even though they've never been. West Coast is still the best, even after years of being here on the East Coast. Yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. It's perception versus reality. The perception is that California is a dump. And the reality is, you know, like Mike Florio came out for the Super Bowl, and he stayed in a hotel. I think he sta- I think he said he stayed at the Marriott and then he walked from the Marriott to um the Moscone Center or the Herba Buena Center or whatever you, the 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 convention center. So, I mean, think about that. That's south of market between like 2nd and 4th between Mission and like Harrison. And you're going to you're going to take your entire opinion of the region and the city based on that four block deal, go check out pack Heights, go check out the Marina, go, go, go for a walk with your dog and your girl in Alta Plaza park. Um, you know, there's all kinds of cool spots in the Bay area and not just in the city, not to mention Capitola. Um, I mean, there's so many great spots, Muir woods, Marin. I mean, there's just a lot the wine country, and there's just a lot of great things to do. But what happens is people get, you know, if that was your four-block radius, would you think it's great? Probably not. It's a lot of urine. There's a lot of dirty. There's a lot, a lot of people smoking weed. Um, if you're, you know, from the east, you come to town, you stay in that four-block radius, you're like, this place sucks. And I get it. I get it. But come on. That's ridiculous. That's like going to New York City and, saying, you know what? I was in the South Bronx. It sucks. Okay, <laughs> great. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks for coming. You know, something tells me that you maybe would like Manhattan in certain spots, not to mention, you know, the areas in and around the city. But I hey, no, man. I, I There was a three-block radius in the South Bronx that just, I hated it. It sucked. Okay. Uh, I would say you didn't get the full experience. Cosmos says, Krug, not saying San Francisco is the worst city, or the dirtiest. It's just not being managed right. It's a beautiful city and don't want to lose that. Yeah, I mean, there we could get into that. I don't even, I really don't want to even get, get into that. Um, but, you know, I've made my, made my opinions known in the past. Jay Subic Bay 68 says cancel culture on, on uh, Brock Purdy or on uh, Buster Posey. Come on. Seriously. I mean, it wasn't like Buster said this city sucks and it will always suck. I mean, it was like it was like he was exp- he was exp- he was expressing 
what his experience has been through this free agent process. And I know it comes across like, like an excuse, right? It, it sounds like Buster's making an excuse. And a lot of people are like, Hey man, don't make an excuse. Don't make excuses. Um, but it's to me, that's not the way I, I, I heard that at all. I really didn't. I, I heard that as, you know what? The city should be a selling point, And instead there's a lot of wives of big leaguers who are a little nervous about it. And it's not their favorite place. And it's not, believe me, it's, it's hard. And nothing that he said in any way is shocking. Like though, that's the other thing. People acted like, I can't believe that he said that. It's like, what? Really? He's being honest. Buster is an honest guy. He's just being honest. And he's not telling you that's how he feels. If he really hated San Francisco, he would have stayed in Georgia. But he likes San Francisco, and he's just he just doesn't want to be blamed 100% for all these free agents turning down the Giants. And, um, and nor should he be. Nor should he be. Um, Robbie439 says, Larry, in your opinion, how did the 49ers match up against the Ravens? That's a good question. The Ravens have a monstrous interior. I was looking at them the other day on paper. Their interior defensive line is freakishly huge. I mean, you're talking about some of the biggest players in the entire NFL. Michael Pierce, the nose guard, six feet, 355. 355 for Michael Pierce. And that might be an that might be a uh, an understatement. He may be closer to 370. Travis Jones is the third round pick they had out of Connecticut. 6'4", 340. Huge. And they, it's going to be hard to run it up the gut. Then Matabuke, I'm a big A&M fan. He's like 310 pounds. And then they've got Jadavion Clowney and Adafe Owe off the edges. Both those guys can hunt quarterbacks. And they got Roquan and Patrick Queen inside. Those guys are really, really good against the run. So, I mean, their front is big time. And then Geno Stone will pick off passes. Marlon Humphrey is a big corner. Kyle Hamilton's a little dinged up right now, but he's a phenomenal player. The Notre Dame safety is like 6'5 or whatever. He's huge, huge, tall safety who makes great play after great play. So, yeah, they're they're good. They're really good. Um, you know, that's one of the best defenses they're going to go against. Uh, but they also don't have Matt. They, they don't have the tight end. He's done for the year. So that, that should help the 49ers. Um, you know, when they, when they wound up losing their tight end, Mark Andrews, Mark Andrews is Lamar's number one weapon. Um, I do have Keaton Mitchell on my fantasy team and he's the rookie running back from East ECU, East Carolina pirate. Uh, he's fast, really fast. And they got Gus Edwards, justice Hill. They can run the ball. And Lamar is a dangerous runner and likely they lost the tight end, but Isaiah likely is a good tight end. Zeitler's a brawler that he's the right guard. Linderbaum is a, you know, excellent center. So they're really good in the interior. Uh, Ronnie Stanley, when he's healthy is one of the league's best left tackles. And, you know, their receivers Zay flowers. I like he's a rookie. Rashad Bateman was a former first round pick. They got OBJ. They got Aguilar. Um, so they get they got guys. I mean, I mean, it's a good team. The Ravens are a good team. This could be a Super Bowl preview. I like the Niners to win that game. I do. I, I don't. Christmas night 
It won't take him by surprise. Um, I, I, I like the Niners to win that game, but it's going to be a tough game. And that's why you got to really root for Seattle to get it done this weekend against Philly. Because, you know, if the Niners, um, you know, and then also you got to root for Dallas to lose too. Maybe Buffalo takes down Dallas this weekend. That happens. It would be nice if the Niners could lose that game and still be the number one seed. That would be nice. So, anyway. All right, that's going to do it for us. I'm going to go have dinner on a Friday night. I hope you guys had a had a great Friday. Join me at 9 a.m. tomorrow. The coach will be in the house. We'll break it all down tomorrow night, uh, or tomorrow morning, I should say, and then after, join us uh, at Pig and a Pickle for the watch party uh, come Friday, or come Sunday, I should say, for the watch party at 1 p.m. I'll be there from noon on. It's at the uh, 341 Corte Madera Town Center. Really cool mall there in Marin County. And uh, stop by, say hello, have some barbecue, have a beer, go do some Christmas shopping, and then uh, and then come on back for the postgame show. Uh, Raphael 5629ers says, great show, Larry. Thank you, Raphael. You're always so kind. He also tells everybody, like and subscribe, everyone. And thanks to everybody, man. 31,100 um, subscribers, and we're closing in on two years of doing this in March. And we, the goal was to make it to 30,000 subs by Super Bowl Sunday. We made it to 30,000 subs, two months to spare. So we're trying to get to 40,000 before Super Bowl Sunday now. And I think it's a possibility, especially if the Niners can get a great playoff run. And uh, I think that's very possible as well. To me, the 49ers look like the best team in the NFL by a country mile. So we'll see how it all shakes out. Uh, but it's going to be exciting. It's absolutely going to be a very, very exciting. Bazzi Mion says, another great show. Thank you. Jameson Joy says, enjoy your evening, Larry. Thank you, man. Appreciate every single one of you guys. Uh, thanks for supporting the Krug Show. Thanks to everybody. Uh, go on to our YouTube channel and check out our merch. You know, it's that time of the year where we got a whole store on the, uh, on you know, if you go to the, to the merch section on the, the YouTube channel, you know, if you're looking for a t-shirt, you're looking for a gift item, a mug, uh, you can go Krug show mugs, t-shirts, hats, sweatshirts. It's all there. And everybody who orders anything on the channel, uh, from the merch store on YouTube gets a video from me thanking you, whether you want one or not, not this, this ugly mug will be staring you down. Thanking you. If you buy something on the, uh, at the store, uh, on on my YouTube channel. So check it out. The Krug Show on YouTube. Until next time, peace. Yeah, never met a man I've been scared of. Careful, you won't get exactly what you asked for. Careful, 